0: Hi, my name is Christy Kramer and this is Michigan Unsolved, the true crime podcast that is solely focusing on unsolved cases in Michigan. There is no case too small. My goal is to give victims of unsolved crimes the voice they deserve. Everyone, welcome back. I am currently sitting in the room that I record in looking out the window and it is very dark. Um, here in Michigan as well as other parts of the country we are getting some severe weather so I'm really hoping we don't lose power. Um, so I really wanted to try to get uh, this recording done before the storm hit but it is coming in fast. So that should be fun so if you hear a little bit of rumbling in the background you know what that is i know i've been complaining about the cold in the past couple of weeks and here we are we're finally getting into spring but of course as you know um especially in michigan with the spring a lot of times does come severe weather so i'm just really hoping that everyone in the storm's path stays safe um and hopefully there is no damage so I'm going to jump right into today's case because I know I told you guys that I was going to try to keep them a little bit shorter so that I could try to do two a week, but this case is just crazy. And I actually just started researching this one last week when the Kyle Mosher story dropped. Um, it got a lot of attention. I know Kyle's mom was very active in sharing it and um there's been like a lot of response to Kyle's case. And one of the biggest, one of the biggest things to come out of that is the amount of people like the Michigan unsolved Facebook group has grown like doubled in size. But with that came so many people requesting me to cover stories and First of all, I want to say thank you to all of those who have sent me requests because the fact that you're putting your faith and trust in me to cover your loved one's story is just, it touches my heart, truly. And I want to give all of those cases and all of these victims the the time that they deserve. But there's just so many and I really want to um, just get like the important information out there um, and just try, like really try to get two done a week because there's just, I cannot tell you how many people have contacted me. It's it's insane. Um, so I'm really, really, really trying to make this work. And it may be like one, one week to the next type of a deal. I'm not really sure, but I am really going to try to kick out to a week. So um, with that being said, here we go. I'm going to jump right into this one that was sent to me last week. And I, I had to rush right into covering it because it is just truly, truly insane. So this is the disappearance of Eric Lee Franks. There was no doubt that Eric Franks was loved. He was adopted as an infant by the most loving couple in North Carolina. His mom, Joanne, says that when her and her husband, Jim, first laid eyes on this tiny baby boy, Jim asked her if there was any doubt and she knew there was none. They both fell in love instantly. This sweet little boy was meant for them. They completely doted on their son and even though a few years later they had a child naturally a little girl they did not love eric or his sister any differently they i mean eric was their child and shortly after eric's sister was born um, the family moved to tennessee where eric's father would take over as the minister at a local church I believe they were, they were around like the Nashville area. Now I grew up in a church and we had a term for the pastor's kids. We called them preacher's kids or PKs. And preacher's kids were always held to a little bit of a higher standard than everyone else because of who their parents were. And um, that sometimes led to them acting out a bit at times. So According to, um, the Discovery ID channel, um, there's a, there's a show on the ID channel called Disappeared and they actually covered this case in 2017 and the episode is called The One That Got Away and I will be giving you more details about that later, but they do mention that Eric was kind of considered a little bit of a maverick growing up. Not that he was getting into trouble, but just that he was like more strong-willed, um, and probably more apt to push the envelope and I totally got that because like I said you know I you know wasn't quote-unquote a preacher's kid but my parents were extremely active in the church and so yeah we were kind of held to a little bit of a higher standard and so I, I totally get it um I don't know if you know Maverick really um That's how they refer to him in the documentary, but honestly, he was probably just more trying to, uh, you know, just like I said, push that envelope a little bit. His mom even said that he loved to talk politics and religion, and they usually didn't even agree on those topics, but he loved to talk about them. Again, probably because he liked to ruffle those feathers a little bit, and honestly, I don't see anything wrong with that. He just... You know, he was described as having a larger than life personality. During his teenage years, he had like big dreams, like crazy big dreams of being a screenwriter and a director. And he had high hopes of actually working in Hollywood. So um, he would actually like film around the house. And his mom said it was just so cute because he was one of his young girlfriends at the time. Um, they would take these little you know, home movies and she said he was just adorable. And that's just, he had that passion. And uh, when he was 19, he actually moved out and was sharing an apartment with a friend. And during this time, he met a girl that he considered the love of his life. And her name was Kendra. Having been adopted... Even though he had wonderful, loving parents and a sister he adored, he longed for something more. It was his desire to have a family of his own, a wife and children would make him feel complete. And Eric and Kendra actually dated for a few years. And then kind of like out of the blue, Kendra broke his heart by ending the relationship and moving to Michigan to reunite with an old boyfriend. Now, this, like, completely destroyed Eric's kind of promise of that perfect family that he that he saw him and Kendra having. There was no mention of, you know, them getting engaged or anything like that that I could find, but just in listening to the way people talked about Eric, like I could see that being in their near future. Like I could just feel that Eric had that desire to, to marry her. So um, Eric really did believe that they were meant to be together. And when she left, he was just completely broken. He kind of felt like he needed something to brighten his days, so he decided to try to make his Hollywood dreams come true, and he headed to California. He made a few visits, but the cost of living out there was just so, it was just so much money, and he it was not something that he could afford. So by the time Eric was 26, and this was around 1999, he... Kind of, I don't want to say gave up on the California dream, but he made his way to Tupelo, Mississippi, and there he made it home. But he still felt that something was, you know, missing. There was a piece missing. But that is where he met and fell in love with a woman named Gail, and she would become his wife. And Gail brought to the marriage something that Eric had really, truly longed for a child. Gail had a young son. So young, in fact, that Eric felt like the the little boy was his. You know, he truly helped raise him. But then in 2006, his world would take a devastating turn. He got the call while he was at work from his mom, Joanne that his beloved father, a man that he loved and treasured beyond measure, had passed away. Eric's co-worker would tell him, tell Eric, um, Eric's mom, Joanne, that he had to console Eric. You know, sometimes, you know, men can be, you know, the tough guy act or whatever, but He said that Eric was completely distraught and he had to console Eric after he got the news. And then, in 2008, the hits kept coming. When the economic downturn happened across the U.S., Eric was not exempt. He lost his job as a maintenance worker at the mall. Now, I'm sure you can remember what 2008 was like. It was horrible. I mean, my job, we took pay cuts. I mean, there was just it was bad. You know, I remember um, my best friend and I at the time, we were, um, we had just signed a lease on a house. And the week later, we were told that we had to take a pay cut. And it was just, it was like a blow. You know, I mean, we made it work, but it was a really hard blow. And we're, we were very grateful we still had jobs, you know, and, and people in like Eric's situation where they lost their job. They, it was just, it was very, very hard at that time. And it was very hard to find a job since so many people at that time were in the same position. So he talked to his mom and he talked to his wife and they decided that moving his small family to Ohio, which is where his mom had relocated to, might be better, both financially and there should be a better chance of finding work there. But unfortunately, things didn't get better. Eric was having a hard time finding steady work, and the money issues just made things even worse, and this was putting more strain on their marriage. Eric and Gail just, things just weren't happy anymore. So in 2009, Eric thought maybe reconnecting with some old high school friends would help him feel more settled, more grounded. He formed a bond with one of his old friends, and he shared with her some of her his marital struggles and expressed the desire to reconnect with his old girlfriend, Kendra. Now, this friend that he reconnected with, she is actually on the um, Disappeared episode, and she gives more detail into her friendship with Eric and some of the conversations that they had. Um So he really had this desire to reconnect with Kendra. And Kendra did not have social media, but Eric remembered the name of the man she left him for. Now, let me tell you, Eric, pardon the language here, but Eric had some balls. He decides, I'm going to reach out to this guy and see if I can find out. You know, where Kendra's at, how she's doing. I think he really had this genuine need to know how the love of his life was doing. Even though he was still married at the time, you know, Kendra was the one that got away. So he found John Kendra, the man that um, Kendra left him for. He found him on social media. So he reached out to him on Facebook and sent him a message, basically saying, hey, you know, I used to date her. I'm really wondering how she's doing. Do you happen to have a, are you still in contact with her? Do you happen to have a way to reach her? And shockingly, he got a response and he wasn't happy with the response, but there was a response. Don and Kendra were actually married and they had two daughters Um, John did agree to let Kendra know that Eric had reached out and to share the message with Kendra. So now that he has this link to Kendra, even though he hasn't spoken to her, he's got this link. He can can view John's page. And Eric's thinking, you know, it would be kind of cool to check and see what she looks like and all that and see how she's doing. So even though she didn't have a Facebook page, he went through John's page. And as he's going through John's page, he sees pictures of John and Kendra's two daughters. And at some point as he's doing the search, he happens to notice the birthdays of the two girls. And Kendra's oldest daughter, Emily, was actually born less than nine months from the time she moved to Michigan. Well, that definitely sparked something with Eric. And then Kendra called Eric. She just thought that they were going to connect, but Eric had some questions for her. She, he pushed her a little bit, but she eventually admitted that Emily, her 15-year-old daughter, was his. And at 38 years old, Eric Lee Franks found out he was a dad. According to Eric's mom, she had not seen that Eric that happy in his entire life. She said the only thing that, she said she's, she can only imagine that to an adopted child to find out you have a blood relative that's a part of you. Oh, he was beside himself. He was telling all of his friends his big news and he decided very quickly that he was going to go to Michigan and meet his daughter. He had no plan in place, just the intense paternal need to see his child. So, on October twenty fifth, 2010, he packed up a few items into his bronze 2001 Chevy Malibu and headed to Saginaw, Michigan. So like I said, Eric had no plans on what to do when he got to Saginaw. So he actually moved into an extended stay type of motel where you pay by the week. So when he got there, you would pay for like a week ahead of time. And then he started taking odd jobs and things to make ends meet while he decided what to do and... You know, at first it was just supposed to be like a visit. He didn't know really what, you know, what the future held. But soon after arriving to Michigan, he met his daughter and fell in love. Kendra introduced him as an old friend. But it wasn't long, though, before Kendra told Eric that she had told Emily that he was her biological father. And he was so happy to be able to bond with his daughter. Joanne, Eric's mother, states that every week, Kendra and Eric would take Emily out and they would go roller skating and do different things. And they really were starting to form a really nice father-daughter bond. By March, things were looking up in Eric's life. Eric called his mom with big news. He found a place to live. He was gonna be moving out of the motel. And he said that Kendra was actually planning on leaving her husband so that they could be a family together. He also told his mom that he was gonna come home in July and he was hoping to bring Emily with him so that she could meet her grandmother. Eric was so happy. He did tell his mom that the new place that he was moving to didn't have the best cell service, so it might be hard to reach him, but he would get in touch when he could. Now, that area of Michigan, even today in 2023, I don't want to say it's rural, but it's not like an overly populated area. Yeah, Saginaw is a big city, but most of the outlying areas where I'm assuming he was living at the time, even, like, where the motel was or where Kendra lived, it was more isolated. So this does not surprise me at all, especially in 2011, 2012. The cell service was not the greatest, and it's not like we had 5G back then, you know. So that statement really does not surprise me that it could be hard to contact him by a cell phone, especially if that was the only phone he had. But the problem was is that months would actually pass. He was supposed to be coming home in the summer. He In July, as I mentioned, he had a very important... um, doctor's appointment. He had a dentist appointment. He had some extensive work done on his teeth and everything was already paid for. This was like a follow up appointment, but it was an important appointment and one that he really should not miss. And she had talked to him about it before and had told him, make sure you're back for this appointment. He's like, yeah, I know I'll be there, but he missed it. So his mom would call the phone Even though, you know, she knew he wouldn't get much cell service, but she kept trying and he would never answer. So she would leave a voicemail and Eric would reply by email. So she was having contact with him, but, you know, she was trying hard not to worry. I mean, he was 38 years old. He's a grown man, but this is mama's little boy. I get it. I mean, I've got a son myself. I totally understand. Um, Even though he's a grown man, her mom heart needed to hear his voice. But more time passed and every phone call was answered with an email. By August of 2011, Joanne became extremely concerned She even replied to one of his emails that she had to hear his voice. She talked to her sister, and they both had an uneasy feeling, so her sister actually jumped into action. And then the emails just stopped coming. Her sister was able to locate Kendra on the Internet and get a phone number for her, and she called her. Now here, what I have to tell you, I have to tell you is mainly like hearsay because yeah, one person is saying this is what was said, but there's just really no way to corroborate what was said on a phone call or or just conversations that were had. So I need you to know that before I go any further because some of this information I, I just can't prove and I don't like giving information that cannot be proved. Um, I have a problem with that, but this information, I have a a gut feeling that this is true. So that's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to have to trust my gut on this one because there's just no way to prove this information. Okay, so just FYI there. So Eric's aunt asked Kendra if she had seen Eric or knew where he was. Kendra told Eric's aunt, that she had not. Now I need you to listen to these to the timeline that that is going on here because this is where things are going to get screwed up and you're going to be like, WTF? What is going on here? Okay, Kendra told Eric's aunt that she had not seen Eric since mid-April. She said that they had gotten into a fight and Eric had sat in his car in front of her house for days texting her. And then he told her he was giving up and moving to California. And that was the last she'd heard from him. Okay. Stop the noise. Hold the phone. Eric's loved ones knew this made no sense. Yeah, Eric loved California and it was his dream. But he knew it wasn't a place he could move because of the cost of living. He would not just up and move to California without a plan. It just wasn't going to work and they knew how important his new relationship was with Emily and that he would not just walk away with from that now I've never met Eric I've never just going by what his family and his friends have said I feel there's no way that Eric would not have fought for his daughter not To to find out after 15 years that you have a child that you have longed for your entire life, you are not going to just walk away from her. It's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. But most of all, beyond a shadow of a doubt, they knew there was no way that he would move across the country without talking to his mother. They had such a close bond. There was just no way that what Kendra was saying could be true. It, it just did not make any sense. So on November 16th, November 16th, 2011, Eric's mom called her local police department in Ohio because that's where she lived. And she reported her son missing. Now, from what I've been told, the Ohio police were on their game and they jumped right into action, and they contacted the Saginaw Police and got the ball ball rolling to find Eric. Then, on November 22nd, six days after he was reported missing, Joanne gets an email. Now remember, the emails had stopped for quite a while. The email was from Eric's email account. Now I say that because this does not add up. It said that he was back on his feet and he had a new number and he provided the number in the email. Joanne called the number, but the phone had never been activated. Joanne responded to the email saying that she was not going to believe it was him unless she heard his voice. Now, at this point, it's been 10 months since anyone's heard Eric's voice. But then guess what? Radio silence, no response, no nothing. No phone call, no voice, no response, nada. So local police at this point are really revving up their investigation and the first place they go is Kendra's house. Now Kendra's husband John answers the door and speaks to the police and they ask him about Eric. And he tells them that he knew who Eric is or who Eric was and that he was in in contact with Kendra and that he was Emily's biological father. But John says that he never met Eric. Okay, the police go with that. I mean, there's nothing to contradict that. So, okay, he never met Eric. Now, Kendra then tells the police that she last saw Eric Listen to this, in March. Now remember, she told Eric's aunt that she saw him in April. But no, she tells the police that she saw Eric in March when he decided to move to California and she helped him clean out his room at the motel. Now this is like, again, this is completely different than what she told Eric's aunt. So then the police go to the Miller's Motel in Saginaw where Eric was staying and they talk to the manager. He tells them that he had not seen Eric since March 14th, 2011 when Eric had come into the office to pay for the upcoming week. Eric had been very religious about paying every week. He was a wonderful, I'd call it a tenant kind of, Um, there was no issues with Eric whatsoever. And he had kind of formed like a friendship with him over the course of his time there. So he was very aware of who Eric was. There wasn't a question. He knew the last time he saw Eric was the 14th of March. And then he tells the police that one week after Eric paid for the week, he saw Kendra because Kendra had been there quite a few times, so he knew who Kendra was. He saw Kendra cleaning out Eric's room. And he was very adamant in the fact that he did not see Eric, only Kendra. So the police go back to Kendra and question her again and letting her know this is what we're being told. And she insists that Eric was with her when she cleaned out the, apart, the the motel room and that they left at the same time. And when they pulled out of the parking lot, she went one way and he went the other way. And that was the last time she saw him. So the search for Eric continues, but there's no leads. And... Here's a twist. Because they were never charged and weren't even really considered suspects, Kendra, John, and their two daughters packed up and moved to Florida. Now, you guys know where Michigan is, okay? And you know where Florida is. They moved completely across the country, Like, that's like 12, 13, 1400 miles, for goodness sake. So it's like the police, the police even said, you know, they weren't told they could not leave. But, you know, moving over a thousand miles away definitely hindered the investigation. So at that point, police are kind of struggling to figure out you know, what to do, how to figure this out. So police start to trace the IP address that the emails were sent from. And they were actually sent from a Burger King in Saginaw off of their Wi-Fi. but it had been like a year. So there was no way to figure out who was logged in at that time. You know, security tapes had been taped over. It was kind of like a dead end. So then they pulled the phone records. There were some outgoing calls. On April 5th, there were calls to salvage yards across multiple salvage yards across Michigan, a dentist's office, and a few other places. Police followed up on the calls. The salvage yards were really no help as they don't keep records of the phone calls, and according to them, none had received Eric's car. Police really believed that the car was the key. If they could find the car, they would find Eric. So then they called the dentist's office that was called on the phone. But they confirmed that Eric was not a patient. But they did, however, confirm that Kendra was a patient. Like I said, there were a few other calls made, but none of them had any link to Eric or his whereabouts. But even more concerning is that based on cell phone records, Eric's phone never left the Saginaw area and has never been found. So at this point, the case is kind of like, I don't want to say going cold, but it kind of was like, where was Eric? I think it's pretty safe to say he wasn't in California. By October of 2012, Eric's mom and aunt decided that they needed to go and do more. So they went to Saginaw. They put up flyers and did some news interviews. They were determined in some form of fashion to find out what happened to Eric. Then they got a tip from one of the flyers, and it was about to throw an interesting curveball. A man who asked to remain anonymous said that he had been staying in the room next to Eric's at the Miller's Motel. He had been out of town for about a year, and when he came back, he saw the missing flyer. He called and said, you already found him, right? This is an old flyer? And he was shocked to find out that no, Eric was still missing this whole time. He said that him and Eric had formed kind of a bond. They were both in marriages and separated, and they had a lot in common, and they talked to each other daily. He, and he said that Eric would often talk about Emily and how excited he was to be in her life. And then he said that one day, a car raced up the drive to the motel, A man jumped out of the car and was screaming at Eric that he would put a bullet in his head if he did not stop messing around with his wife. The anonymous man confirmed with the police that the man that threatened Eric was John, Kendra's husband. Hmm. Now, this causes an issue because if you remember, John told the police, that he had nef- never met Eric. Now at this point, John and Kendra have both, like, I don't even, can't even tell you how many times they're just giving incorrect information. Now, honestly, why? I I don't even know, like, what how that works. I mean, they're in Florida. We're in Michigan. How can they... They don't have any evidence. You know, it's not like they can arrest them for lying. So really, what do you do at that point? So by January, now here we are, January of 2013, the Michigan State Police take over the case and they start reviewing what little evidence there is. Basically none. It's a nobody case. It's extremely hard to solve. In May of 2003, I'm sorry, forgive me, 2013, once the Michigan ground started to thaw, cadaver dogs were sent in to search the property where Kendra and John lived. But unfortunately, nothing was found. Now, one of the state troopers did say that just because nothing was found does not mean nothing wasn't there. It just means nothing was found at that time. And I think that that's extremely important because... Although cadaver dogs are are awesome, they're a wonderful tool, they're not perfect. They're, They're an animal. They are not perfect. If the dog was having a bad day, it very easily could have missed something. So in April of 2014, Joanne learned via social media. Now remember, Joanne is Eric's mom she got some pretty shocking news. Emily, Eric's daughter, who is now 18, was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. Now this is extremely, extremely rare for a girl her age to have breast cancer, let alone stage three. But the even crazy twist here is that Kendra was also diagnosed. Joanne and her sister decided that they needed to go to Florida. She needed to see her granddaughter and hopefully get some answers from Kendra. I think at this point, Joanne was probably kind of feeling like time was running out. You know, I mean, I hate to say it, but, you know, stage three is not good. And it could really go either way. So I'm sure she kind of felt like this is her last chance. So they get down to Florida. And they were able to track down a number for Emily. Joanne called her and actually talked to her on the phone. And she told her she heard about her health and that she wanted to donate some money to her cancer fund. And that she would really love to meet her. I mean, it's her granddaughter, for goodness sakes. Of course she wants to meet her. She said Emily was very kind on the phone, but she said that she really needed to think about it. And, you know, I can understand it from Emily's point of view. I mean, at 15, she learned that her dad wasn't her dad. And then she's introduced to this man that was really her father. And I really think that she started to form that bond with him. And then all of a sudden he's gone. She's lost a lot of people in her life. And here she is facing this crazy crazy uphill battle, I can understand, you know, her needing to think about it. But then later that day, Joanne received a text from Emily's number that said it would, you know, she would appreciate it if she never tried to contact her again. And I think Joanne even says in the um, Disappeared episode that she really doesn't believe that it was Emily that sent the text because it didn't, she was so kind and, and sweet on the phone and then the text was just very blunt and kind of a little brazen, you know? And But even though she was a bit confused, she respected the request and went back to Ohio. Then on August 30th, 2016, Kendra lost her battle with breast cancer. And Joanne lost her biggest connection to get answers to where her son is. Now, please don't take that as being, like, unkind for me to say that. I mean, yes, people lost their... These two girls lost their mother. John lost his wife. But there is not a doubt in my mind that Kendra did not either do something to Eric or play a big part in it. And she was definitely withholding. And if you are the kind of person that can do that, and I don't wish death on anyone. My mom died from cancer. My grandma died from cancer. I do not wish cancer on anyone. Okay, it's horrible. It's truly, truly horrible. But this, Kendra was like the piece that could solve this whole case. And she was gone. I can't imagine the devastation that Joanne felt at that time. Joanne actually didn't find out about Kendra's death until September, and when she did find out about it, she texted her granddaughter her condolences, but she never heard back. And then in 2017, as I mentioned, the ID Channel did a—they have a show called Disappeared, and they covered Eric's story. It is in season eight. It's episode nine, and it's entitled The One That Got Away. I highly recommend that you watch this episode. There's a lot of information that I could not get into on the podcast, and there's interviews with family and friends and law enforcement. So seriously, I highly, highly, highly recommend. And I know there's other podcasts out there. I got a lot of my my information from the Disappeared episode, as well as some news articles but because Joanne and her sister and some of Eric's friends um, and the police were actually interviewed for Disappeared, I found that to be the most accurate information. Here's the kicker though. This Disappeared episode actually led to the biggest lead ever in the case, but not until 2020. So back in 2017, when the episode aired, there was a girl studying criminal justice in California, and she came across the episode. I think it really stuck with her, just as it stuck with me. Like, something was so off about this case. So she actually took the VIN number for Eric's car and entered it into Carfax. Now, if you don't know what Carfax is... Let me tell you, it's like a reporting system that you can put in the VIN number and it will basically tell you like anytime the VIN number has been entered into a system, if it's been in an accident, all kinds of things. Okay. Let me tell you, I wish when my son, he had saved up his graduation money and um, his work money through the summer and bought himself a Jeep. And I had, I wish we had done a Carfax because the guy that sold us the car actually like gave us a forged title and the car had been in an accident and it was falling apart. And I mean, my son paid almost $4,000 for this car and we ended up having to, um, basically turn it over to a junkyard because it really was not drivable And we got like $450 for it. If we had done a Carfax and done our due diligence, that wouldn't have happened. So Carfax, big thumbs up. Look, it's a plug for Carfax, okay? Because, hey, it it gave them the biggest tip. So anyway, so she put Eric's VIN number into Carfax, all right? In 2017, mind you, then... Three years later in 2020 she gets a notification that there was a hit on the car. Now it's been three years she doesn't even really remember what this what she what this was you know and then all of a sudden it clicks. she remembers. now what happened was that the car had been parked in a garage in Saginaw okay? The owner of the house died, and the house went up for sale at auction. The person who bought the house took the car in to be inspected, and when they did that, it hit on Carfax. So the girl gets a notification. She contacts Eric's family, and they immediately go to the police. And the police are thinking, oh, there's got to be a typo. What's the chances? Nope, it was Eric's car. And here's the biggest kicker of all the home that the car was parked at belonged to a man who was incapacitated and had a caregiver and back in 2012 his caregiver was a woman named kendra yep the same kendra who was the mother of eric's daughter the same Kendra that told police that she saw Eric drive away in that very car after he cleaned out his motel room. However, at this point, Kendra had been dead for four years. So, while they were glad to have found the car, it really yielded no answers. The property where the car was parked was searched, including some recent concrete, that had been laid so they even I believe they tore it up and actually searched underneath but nothing was found the only evidence in the car was a small spot of blood that was tested and proven to be Eric's but it wasn't enough to prove that any crime had taken place so here we are in 2023 and we are no closer to finding Eric Lee Franks than we were in 2011. When Eric went missing in March of 2011, he was six foot one and weighed approximately 175 pounds and had black hair. It's reported that both of his ears were pierced and he had a toe on his left foot that was partially amputated. And he also had extensive dental work. I did see a report that he had a full set of dentures. I'm not 100% sure about that, but Um, also at this time in 2023, Eric Lee Franks would be 50 years old. I do highly recommend that you check out the Facebook group, find Eric Lee Franks. His family is extremely active and like I sent them a message and I got a response almost immediately. Okay. If you have any, any tips, any leads, anything if you if you know about the miller's motel in saginaw and you remember it from 2011 anything please reach out to the michigan state police contact me contact the find eric lee frank's facebook group eric's brother-in-law gave an interview I don't remember which news outlet it was, but he basically stated, you know, the family does not believe that Eric is still missing. Eric is still living. There's just no proof. Especially after um, finding the car. I mean, I think that probably pretty much solidified the idea that Eric is no longer with us. But um, they still... Deserve. He's he deserves justice. Even if you know, I, I don't even know like what kind of justice you could get at that point, but they need they need to bring him home. He deserves to rest in peace. And I guarantee you, his mom needs that closure. So please, if you have any tips, contact the um Michigan State Police or the Find Eric Lee. Frank's Facebook group. And as always, you can reach me on the Michigan Unsolved Facebook page. Um, And again, if you please, I know I mentioned earlier that I have been like bombarded with case requests. Don't stop. Please send me all of your requests. I am going to do my very best to cover each and every one of them because all of these All of these victims of unsolved crimes deserve their voice back. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give them their voice. So uh, with that being said, I really want to send a big thanks to the ID channel for their incredible coverage on Disappeared. Again, um, that was, I don't remember what I said, if it it was season eight episode nine entitled the one that got away and that is on the show disappeared where they cover eric's story and like i said it's wonderful coverage um i highly recommend it so until next time uh this is michigan unsolved i will see you shortly with another case goodbye